it's Nim, and welcome to A Spoonful of Medicine, topping up your paediatric knowledge one spoonful at a time. On today's episode, we're taking a look at Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome. It's a paediatric overgrowth disorder involving a predisposition to tumour development, as well as some other key clinical findings. It's a condition that is often mentioned in paediatrics as well as neonatology because of the way it presents and the way it needs to be followed up. So it's worth our while to take a bit of time to look at what Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome is, how it presents, what's the genetics, and what do we do about it. All right, let's go. Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome is a pan-ethnic condition that has a prevalence of about 1 in 10,000 to 1 in 14,000, with males and females being affected equally. 85% of cases occur sporadically, while 15% are thought to be familial in transmission. Beckwith-Wiedemann is seen more in births from ART, or Associated Reproductive Technology, with a tenfold increased risk of Beckwith-Wiedemann with ART. In fact, more than 90% of children with Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome were conceived by ART. Let's begin with the genetics of Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome. And with a bit of forewarning, it is confusing because Beckwith-Wiedemann is an imprinting disorder. So, the genes involved with Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome have been mapped to the gene locus of 11P15.5. The critical Beckwith-Wiedemann genes in that region include intonin like growth factor 2, which is paternally expressed in the fetus and placenta and then biallelically in the liver after birth. Other genes include H19, cyclin-dependent kinase inhibitor 1C, as well as potassium channel vulture-gated KQT-like subfamily member 1, or KCNQ1 for short. Genetic and epigenetic modifications in the relative contributions of maternal and paternal genes are what causes Bethwick-Wiedemann syndrome. In 50% of cases, it's aberrant DNA methylation, specifically a loss of methylation at this imprinting center 2 or IC2. 20% of cases have paternal uniparental disomy. And what that means is both of those chromosomes are inherited from the father, hence paternal uniparental disomy. 10% of patients have a gain of methylation at the IC1 site, and other issues such as deletions or mutations account for the minority of cases. It's worthwhile to note that depending on the molecular alterations underpinning the presentation, specific phenotype to genotype correlations do exist. So, what are the clinical manifestations of Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome? Well, it's a paediatric overgrowth disorder involving a predisposition for tumour development, so that itself tells us a lot. In the neonate, macrosomia, or being large for gestational age, above the 97th centile, is seen in 90% of cases. Also, about half of cases may have polyhydramnios. Preterm birth is not uncommon, with about half of cases being born before 35 weeks. 
and hemihypertrophy, or in other words, lateralized overgrowth, may be noticed. Infants may also have macroglossia, or a big tongue, and that can impede with breathing occasionally, as well as feeding, which can be a significant issue. Anterior abdominal wall defects can also be seen, namely on phalliceles, with about 40% of those with of phalliceles having Beckwith-Wiedemann. These babies with Beckwith-Wiedemann can also have umbilical hernias or diastasis recti. Neonatal hypoglycemia, which is usually transient, can also be seen in about half of cases, and the pathophysiology behind this is hyperinsulinism. Babies with Beckwith-Wiedemann may have nevus flamus on the face. Their ears may have linear earlobe creases or posterior helical ear pits. And rarely, those children can have cleft palates, cardiomegaly and structural cardioabnormalities, as well as cardiomyopathy. In childhood, macroglossia can cause feeding problems, speech problems, and occasionally obstructive sleep apnea, so it's not to be underestimated. These children may also have visceromegaly, namely of the liver, spleen, kidneys, adrenal glands, and pancreas. They can also have kidney abnormalities, such as structural abnormalities, nephromegaly, nephrocalcinosis, and later development of medullary sponge kidney. Kids with overgrowth can also have advanced bone age that does slow down in late childhood. Ultimately, adult height typically remains at the upper range of normal height, despite rapid growth in early childhood. Ultimately, a significant issue and association in Beckwith-Wiedemann is that of malignancy, with those with hemihypertrophy being at the highest risk. Overall, there is about a 7.5% risk of embryonal tumours, with those of high risk for neoplasia concentrated in the first eight years of life. Those with uniparental diazomy of 11p15.5 or gain of methylation at the H19 imprinting centre carry the highest risk of tumour development. So, what tumours do we talk about? The commonest tumour that is associated with Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome is Wilms tumour. That is a renal tumour. Other Malignancies include hepatoblastoma, neuroblastoma, adrenal cortical carcinomas, as well as rhabdomyosarcomas. When you get a sec, check out our Instagram page for some pictures of all these clinical manifestations, including lateralized overgrowth, macroglossia, ear pits, nevus flamus, as well as omphalocele's. So now, you've got a child that you're suspecting Beckwith-Wiedemann in. How do you go about diagnosing it? Diagnosis is based on either three major features or two major and three or more minor features. It's really important to have a high index of suspicion when evaluating children with minimal clinical features because the Beckwith-Wiedemann phenotype is a spectrum. 
Major features include pre- and or postnatal overgrowth, defined as above the 90th centile, macroglossia, and abdominal wall defects. Minor manifestations or features include characteristic ear signs such as earlobe creases and posterior helical pits, a facial nevus flamus, hypoglycemia, organomegaly, and hemihypertrophy. And the hemihypertrophy is seen in about 25% of cases. In terms of a genetic diagnosis, methylation-sensitive multiplex ligation probe analysis, or MSMLPA, is the most robust method of detection. It can detect microdeletions, microduplications, and alterations in gene dosage and DNA methylation, including uniparental disomy. However, as MS-MLPA may not detect somatic mosaicism for the 11p15.5 uniparental diazomy, SNP arrays should be undertaken in parallel to support the interpretation of the IC1 and IC2 methylation data. Ultimately, a chromosome 11p15.5 molecular alteration is identified in about 80% of cases of those with Beckwith-Wiedemann. Let's cap off this episode with the management of Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome. The management can be split into three sections. The initial evaluation after diagnosis, treatment of the manifestations, and then surveillance. After initial diagnosis, it's important to assess the airway sufficiency if macroglossia is present. You manage the hypoglycemia that may be present and get an abdominal ultrasound to assess for organomegaly and or a baseline MRI of the abdomen again to assess for organomegaly. A renal ultrasound is also worthwhile to assess for renal abnormalities. And an ECG prior to any anaesthetic is important, given there is a chance for cardiac manifestations. Alpha-fetoprotein can be taken to assess for hepatoblastoma, and also leg length measurements are important to establish whether there is leg length discrepancies. In terms of treating manifestations, the management of abdominal wall defects is done through paediatric surgery, while an MDT approach to feeding and respiratory status in the presence of macroglossia is needed. Craniofacial clinics may be needed if there is significant hemihypertrophy, as well as orthopedic involvement for hemihyperplasia, and surgery may be necessary during early puberty to close the growth plate of the longer leg so that there is not significant leg length discrepancy throughout the life. And finally, the malignancies that occur are managed with oncology. Surveillance is an incredibly important part of the management of Beckwith-Wiedemann. One needs to monitor for hypoglycemia in the first few days of life. Then, screen for developmental issues as part of routine childcare. It is also important to screen for embryonal tumours and the guidelines of which vary between countries and jurisdictions. Nonetheless, as an example, screening every three months until the age of eight may be recommended and this includes serial imaging of the abdomen and bloods, usually in the way of abdominal ultrasound to look at the kidney, liver, adrenal glands as well as testing serum AFP. 
Urinary calcium and creatinine ratio can be done annually or biannually given the risk of renal manifestation. Also, periodic assessment of leg length discrepancy is important to detect and also manage accordingly. And finally, some places do recommend annual ECG and cardiac evaluation given the risk for cardiomyopathy. In terms of prognosis for those with Beckwith-Wiedemann, it's generally favourable after childhood and infancy. Infants with Beckwith-Wiedemann are at increased risk for mortality, and this is mainly due to complications related to prematurity, macroglossia, hypoglycemia, tumours, and rarely cardiomyopathy. Complications in adolescence and adulthood can occur, and these are usually in the way of kidney medullary dysplasia and subfertility in males. Nonetheless, given the fact that Beckwith-Wiedemann is a spectrum, most have a good prognosis. Okay, let's do a recap. Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome is a pan-ethnic condition with a prevalence of about 1 in 10,000 to 1 in 14,000. It affects males and females equally and 85% occur sporadically with an increased risk of those with assisted reproductive technologies. Genetically speaking, the genes involved in Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome are located or mapped to the gene location of 11p15.5, and it is changes in methylation, namely loss of methylation at the IC2 site that accounts for about half of cases. Clinically, Beckwith-Wiedemann can present in the neonate as macrosomia, polyhydramnios, and preterm delivery. These neonates can have noticeable hemihypertrophy as well as macroglossia. They can also have anterior abdominal wall defects in the form of omphalocele, umbilical hernias and diastasis recti. Neonatal hypoglycemia is also a complication that is due to hyperinsulinemia. These babies may also have a facial nevus flamus, earlobe abnormalities such as creases and posterior helical pits, and rarely cleft palate or cardiomegaly and cardiomyopathy. Children with Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome can have macroglossia that causes feeding problems, speech problems, and occasionally sleep apnea. Visceromegaly in the form of liver, spleen, kidneys, adrenal glands, and pancreas can also be seen. Children can have overgrowth, and that can be seen as leg length discrepancies, alterations in facial features, as well as advanced bone age. Malignancies that are linked with Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome are those of embryonal tumours, and those with hemihypertrophy are at the highest risk. It is Wilms tumour that is pathognomonically linked with Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome. Diagnosis of Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome is done through clinical suspicion as well as MS-MLPA testing. Management includes initial evaluation after a diagnosis, treatment of the manifestations, as well as surveillance of malignancy as well as growth discrepancies. Overall, the prognosis of those with Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome is good. And that's been this week's episode of A Spoonful of Medicine. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and tell a friend. 
For the visual learners of us out there, head over to our Instagram page at spoonful.of.medicine for a quick summary of today's episode, along with some other great educational content. If you'd like to get in touch, have a suggestion for a future episode, or have heard something that you think needs a correction, please email us on spoonfulofmedicinepodcast at gmail.com. It's been a pleasure chopping up your paediatric knowledge one spoonful at a time. I can't wait for you to join us on our next episode. But until then, bye.